Thank you again for joining us for our services this weekend. I'm going to start our service or this message a little differently than before. I want to say first, thank you to our tech guys. You may have noticed that I have a friend up here with me. It's a television. I'm going to be using that and they're going to be putting scripture and some questions up during my message today. So thank you for our tech guys and just wanted to acknowledge that things are a little different today. I also want to thank you for your prayers. We have asked you to pray and we have been praying and seeking the Lord's leading in regards to how we respond as a church moving forward for the rest of this year through the pandemic. And I believe that God has answered and that he is leading us. And I'm excited to share that with you today. So the title of this weekend's message is called The Question for 2020. I'm gonna ask that we pray together as we begin. Father, this year, 2020, has been a bit unusual If we're honest, it has stretched all of us in unique ways. And dare I say, even tested our faith at times. But we are grateful and we declare your sovereignty in the midst of uncertainty. We do trust in you. We know that you are walking with us and before us. And you have called us for such a time as this. Today, I ask that you would speak through me that you would open our ears to hear and that your word would challenge us and enlighten us. In the precious and mighty name of Jesus, amen. As I was preparing for this week and thinking about the year 2020, I stumbled across some very funny memes, if you will. These are funny pictures that describe what 2020 has been so far. And by the way, we still have four months left in the year. Let me share with you with these uh, with you today. Here's kind of the first one: travel plans in 2020 be like. There's our expectations, and then that's reality. It's pretty good. Here's the next one: If 2020 was a bag of chips that the company Lay's made, it probably would be orange juice and toothpaste because everybody knows that is awful together. Here's another one. Historians in 2070 introducing a documentary about 2020 would say, what you're about to watch is a nightmare. And everyone says, amen. Here's another one. If you were going to Google the year 2020 and look for reviews, it would get one star and say, very bad. We would not recommend. And last but not least, this one probably is my favorite. Me being prepared for 2020, all geared up in soldier and armor And then 2020 comes and that's reality. (laughs) So 2020 has been a trying year. It certainly has tested all of us in many ways. This pandemic has tested our patience, our families, our systems, and our structures. It's tested the way we even connect with one another. The way we were used to gathering as a church and the way in which we do ministry. It has even tested our faith. Pastor Rock reminded us last week, and we must remember today his words when he said, God doesn't test his people to discover what's in their hearts. He already knows that. He tests us so that we can discover what's in our hearts. I believe you would agree 
Throughout this pandemic and even now, we have and we are discovering and seeing what is truly in our hearts, individually, as a society, and even as a church. Most moments of crisis, tests, they reveal who we are. Times of difficulty define who we truly are and what we truly believe. They reveal. I believe 2020 and all of its chaos is revealing who we are individually and it's revealing who we are as a church, both locally and globally. And while we may feel as though this is unique to us and to our generation, it certainly is not. Health crises are not new. And let me remind you that the church of Jesus Christ has always endured. I want to take a brief look back today as we begin and remind us of times when God's people, when God's church have not only endured, but they have flourished in the midst of a health crisis. The first one I want to look at is found in Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at two today, but here's the first. There are three verses found in Acts chapter 11. Here we go. It says this. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. Antioch is a church in Syria. One of them named Agabus, he was a prophet that came up from Jerusalem. He stood up in one of the meetings of this gathering in Antioch and he predicted by the spirit, he prophesied by the spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. So how did the church respond? Well, first of all, the writer here, Luke says, this was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. The gospel writer Luke wrote Acts and in his gospel Luke, he confirms that this happened. Agabus prophesied correctly. And again, I ask you, so how did the early church in Antioch respond? The Bible says, so the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea. Everyone giving as much as they could. It continues, this they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul. Remember that Saul will later, his name will turn turn to Paul. So Barnabas and Paul, they take it to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. This is found in 27 and verse 30. Now, it is really easy to miss the significance and lessons that are packed into these three simple verses. So much happens in the book of Acts and its beginning chapters give us a vivid picture of what the early church was like. Acts 11 introduces us to that church in Antioch. And Antioch was located 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And we have to know that Antioch in Syria was a bustling cosmopolitan city. It was right on trade routes and it was filled with people from many countries and many ethnicities. The Jesus message at that time was spreading. The gospel of Jesus was spreading. But hear me that it wasn't just spreading to the Jewish people. It was now spreading among Gentiles, people like me and you who weren't Jewish. And in verse 21 of that chapter, it says, Luke writes that the power of the Lord was with them. So, The church in Jerusalem, 
the original church in Jerusalem, they hear what God is doing in Antioch. So they send Barnabas. And then as we just read, Barnabas goes and gets Saul, who is also known as Paul. And what I love this church in Antioch, if you really think about it, they were following Jesus in diverse community. Well, Agabus, as we just read, comes from Jerusalem and he prophesies in their midst. And he speaks of a famine that would occur in Judea, where Jerusalem was. Now, famines weren't anything really new. As we have gone through Genesis, we've heard how Abram left Canaan and went to Egypt because of a famine. As we will continue to look, as we work through Genesis, Jacob leaves due to a famine. And as I mentioned before, Luke writes that Agabus was correct because a famine did come. And as we learned, how did this church respond? Well, here's what they didn't say. Here's what the early church, this first church, this diverse church in Antioch, they didn't say this. They didn't say, well, this must be a sign that the Lord is coming back soon. They didn't respond to this word of a famine by saying, this must mean that we have sinned and we need to repent. They didn't respond by saying, this will give us an opportunity to tell the whole world that they're sinners and they need to repent. Nor did they point fingers and blame other people. They didn't say this is the fault of civic authorities in our town, in our city. They didn't look to the Roman Empire and blame them. But they did ask three questions. When they heard there was a famine coming to the land, they asked, who are going to be the ones at most risk when the famine comes? What can we do to help them? And who's going to take it to them? And what we learned that in this famine, this early church respond. They responded by service and they responded by love. And here's a great side point. Never before in world history, think about this. Never before in world history had a multi, multicultural group in one city felt under any fraternal obligation to a monocultural group another city 300 miles away. How does that happen? It's the power of the Holy Spirit working through God's people. Here's the second illustration. Some several hundred years later, we are now in the fourth century. An epidemic hits the Roman Empire. So during the fourth century, a plague hit Rome. Some historians say that there were up to 5,000 people who died a day. And it was the Christians who led the way in caring for the sick and the hurting. Church historian Eusebius from that time, he records it and he writes these words, all day long Christians tended to the dying and to the burial, countless numbers of no one to care for them. Others gathered from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. As a result, Eusebius continues and he writes, the Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. You see what happened? Others came to know and worship God. Why? Because of service and love 
that the Christians showed to the hurting world around them. The emperor, the emperor Julian, the emperor of Rome at that time, who tried to deconvert the Roman Empire after it had become Christian under Constantine, he even complained that the Christians were much better at looking after the sick and poor than the Hellenists. In fact, he led the way in starting pagan charities to copy the work of the Christians. The church was living out what it meant to be a Christ follower. They were being to the world what Jesus had been to Israel. And people took notice. In fact, Christianity in her early days, because of the public display of service and love to the world around them in the midst of of crisis. In the midst of chaos, the church served well, the church loved well, and the church worshiped well. So I ask you a question today. Why? What would cause these early Christians to instinctively react to a health crisis, to a plague, to a famine by serving and loving their communities so well? What was at the heart of their motivation to truly model the actions of Jesus to the world around them. May I suggest that the answer can be found in the words of Paul, written in a letter, the very same Paul who was at that meeting when Agabus stood up and prophesied. Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight. They speak and connect to everything that it means to be a Christian, to everything that it means to be a Christ follower. It is the very definition of such a word. Therefore, it also paints a very clear picture of what his church, us, should reflect to the world. Now, the first two verses that we're going to look at, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, they're very practical And it gives us this look. Let's look at it together. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes these words. Do nothing, nothing at all, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself. He continues by saying, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That is the very definition of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christ follower. What is the motivation of our heart? Paul writes, go back one if you would, and he says, don't let anything, let none of your motives, none of your ambitions be from a selfish ambition. Don't think of putting yourself above someone or how you look being a vain conceit, but rather in humility, serve others. In humility, lift others up above yourself. In humility, be somebody who stands up for somebody else. In humility, give your life for others. It models Jesus's greatest commandment. When the Pharisees asked him and they tried to trap him, he said, they said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Expecting him to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, which he did. And then he wrapped it with a second one saying, but here's a second one that's equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, not just even as yourself, love him more. 
put them above your own interests. Well, how do we model that? Because that is, it goes against all human nature. You and I aren't wired to do that. What does that look like in the flesh? How do you walk that out? How do you empower that? The next few verses that Paul writes answers that question. He continues and he says, in your relationships with one another, that you and I should have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Now stop there because let's think. You and I should think as Christ Jesus, but it's even more than that. We should have the same mindset. How are we empowered to do it? Because you and I, once we put our faith in Christ, we are born of the same spirit of Christ. We are in Christ. So not only should we model it, but Christ gives us the power to live this out. Who, being in the very nature of God, speaking of Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Let's go to the next one. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I want to go back to Philippians 5 and work through this for just a moment because it's really important that we understand how Jesus descends himself in humility. He descends himself. There's a downward walking, if you will, to becoming a servant. So he says in your same relationship, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. We understand here that who, being in the very nature of God, we understand the triune God, God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who being in the very nature of God here, go down to the next one. He did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, which speaks of his thinking. He doesn't refer to himself as I am God Almighty, but no, his thinking begins to change and says, I'm not going to use my position for an advantage. Go on to the next one. He goes down and says, but rather I will make myself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. I, God, change my thinking. I humble myself. Why? To come and serve. How did he demonstrate his service, his being a servant to humanity? This is the Christmas story, being made in human likeness. We're talking incarnation, that God in heaven would humble himself. He would come to earth and be fully man. He descends down and being found in the appearance of the man, being appearance as a man. He again, he doesn't stop with just becoming man. He humbles himself by becoming obedient. Jesus's whole priority was to be obedient to the Father. In being obedient, that led him to what? Death. And what kind of death? The worst possible death on earth. Death on a cross. Jesus demonstrates and he empowers us and he gives us the perfect illustration and model of what it means to think of someone else higher than yourself. And why? Why would he do that? 
He did it so that you and I would do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. He did it so that you and I would humble ourselves and value others more than ourselves. He did it so that we wouldn't wake up in the morning and just think of ourselves and our own interests. He did it so that in the midst of chaos, we would be empowered to see the needs of others and to put their interests, to put their needs first. He did it so that his church would grow, his kingdom would grow because the world would see the unselfish service and love from God's children. I wonder what the church in America would look like if we lived out Philippians 2. I wonder what ACAC would look like if we lived out Philippians 2. Now looking back over these past six months, And how we have responded to a pandemic. And this is where I want to shift and begin to talk about the next four months for us here in 2020 as a church. And how I believe God is calling us to respond. Hear my heart in this. There has been and continues to be much confusion surrounding all matters associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. This is especially true as churches have attempted to navigate their congregations through difficult and ever-changing realities. We are no different. Much of our time and our energy here at ACAC over the last six months has been attempting to answer the question, when will we return to our normal schedule and return to large church gatherings? And I can tell you that trying to answer that question is both exhausting and it can be crippling. Therefore, in the midst of the uncertainty, we have decided to provide a clear direction of ministry moving forward for the rest of the year. This direction has taken into consideration outside resources and outside recommendations, inside recommendations. We have had healthy discussions and debates amongst our staff and amongst our congregational leadership, such as the elders and the operations board of this church. We have prayed and we have asked you to pray. And while there are and still remain varying opinions and perspectives, I can say that we are unified. I can also say that this is what I feel the Holy Spirit would have us do at ACAC. This plan moving forward is birthed both from the Spirit's leading and from the heart of God's word as we looked at in Philippians 2. I believe That over the next four months, God is calling our church to do three things. We are to serve well, we are to love well, and we are to worship well, yet differently. Here's what that will look like. Let us serve well. You need to know that I am proud of our staff and I'm proud of you. Our church has responded through this pandemic when it comes to serving with grace and being led by the Spirit. Serving the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual needs of our community, it has been and it will continue to be one of our highest missions in the church. 
Over the past six months, we've literally fed thousands of children in need in our community through our Compassion Hub. We've provided free COVID-19 testing for those in our community that are high at risk. We have sought to bring technology to those who have had difficulty adapting in this digital world we now live in. And we've continued to love and care for the sick, for the dying, and for the hurting. Today, I'm excited to announce that not only does all of that continue, but we continue and commit to our community to serve through a few new opportunities. The first one I'm excited to tell you about is the Learning Hub. I mentioned this in my weekly update this past week. My heart was filled with overjoy when we learned several weeks ago that we were approached by the nonprofit organization, the United Way. And I was told that they came to us saying, because we trust you and we know your reputation in the neighborhood, we want to partner with you. Because right now, Pittsburgh Public Schools, they've committed to students from kindergarten through 12th grade being solely online for the next nine weeks. And if you could imagine that there are kids at home who mom's working, dad's working, or maybe dad's not there, or mom's not there. They need help technology. They don't have the computers. They need someone to walk with them and they're trying to figure out on their own. So United Way came to us and we're partnering with them. And four days a week, we're creating learning hubs. We're hiring 34 people right now to be a room monitor, to be the spiritual and emotional and educational to support to kids who need help. And we're going to serve our community through learning hubs. We've also started this past week Compassion Hub again. So not only are those kids going to get educational help, they're going to be fed two meals a week. We're going to continue to help feeding families and kids who need help in our community. We need volunteers help with that. We will serve our community well. We are going to continue our incredible partnership. And for the past several months during COVID, we had to step back because of all of the social distancing, but now we've already begun. Our doors are opening. Urban Impact, who you know well, Christian Counseling Collective, Christian Immigration Advocacy Center, Christian Legal Aid, Women's Choice Network, and the opening of the Nest in partnership with that in, in October. Church, let us serve well. But not only serving well, we're going to love well. And an all too familiar passage, these are Jesus' words in John chapter 13. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, don't miss this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is Jesus saying there? Look at this, by this, by what? By how we love one another. Who will know? They'll know that you're my disciples. Everyone will know that you belong to me, that you're a Christian, that you're a Christ follower. How? By how you serve the world, yes, but how you love one another within the church. That's how Jesus says, we have so much division right now. We have so many opinions right now. Jesus is saying, the world will know that you follow me by how you love one another in the church. If there's one thing that we've learned through this pandemic, it's that the digital world does content well, but not connection. (laughs) 
We have strived to provide digital content that is based on God's word to bring hope and steadiness in the midst of uncertainty. I'm proud of the ground that we've made on streaming live services and all the creativity that has been shown by our staff. I have watched you, our congregation. You have adapted and you've even found ways to engage online. Hear my heart. We will continue to do that and we will continue to do it with excellence. However, we've also heard your longing for connection. I've heard your need. Social distancing may be necessary to curb a virus, yet it has caused an increase in the feelings of loneliness and isolation. For many, the separation of their church family continues to be a challenge both emotionally and spiritually. You and I were created with instinctive need, an instinctive need for fellowship and community, both with God and with one another. One of our greatest needs as a church and as a society is to address the personal and relational void that social distancing and isolation has caused. Our intention over the last six months of this pandemic, our purpose, the reason we have done what we have, is to put the needs of our community above our own. To put the needs of others, as Paul said, above our own. We wholeheartedly believe that that is what God has called us to do. However, we do recognize that ACAC's current ministry structures are not sufficiently meeting the relational needs in this COVID-19 world. We feel that we are at a place where we can now do both. Protect our witness and serve our community and open up opportunities for connection. Hear that this is not a return to normal, but it's rather a beginning, a first step, if you will, towards reestablishing connections. Let me explain what has begun and what will be starting soon. Beginning Sunday, October 4th, we are going to begin small public worship gatherings. Let me take a few moments and explain what that's like. Beginning Sunday, October 4th, we are going to give all of you an opportunity to register, to come to a small public worship gathering. These are going to be capped at no more than 100 people. We are going to follow all of the safety precautions, such as wearing masks. They will be required. Social distancing. We've spread out our chairs and our sanctuary. We're making all the precautions to clean. We are going to have two services moving ahead. On Sunday, October 4th, there will be one. But each Sunday after that, we will have two services. There will be live worship. There will be live preaching. We are going to continue doing all of our online for those of you that are not ready to return to some type of gathering such as this, or you are at risk. We encourage you to take precautions and stay home. We will still provide online, but for those who will register and feel safe and will abide by those safety guidelines, we invite you to come for live worship, for live preaching. One of the things that I'm very excited about as well Before and after one of those services, we are having an opportunity. The first service will have an opportunity to come and have breakfast. 
Again, this will all be done with safety. We'll give you the details in the days and weeks ahead, but you'll be separated from tables. And for me, as becoming the next lead pastor in just a couple weeks and a pastoral staff, I want to be able to be here to talk to you, to ask you, how have we done? How are you doing? How can we pray with you? For our pastors to walk aside you, to see your children, to ask how they're doing. For Krista and Tracy and Joel and Joe, we won't be having nursery. We're not going to be having children's ministry. We're asking families to come. Families come up to 100 to small public worship gatherings. Now, this is where we're starting. I've used the message with our staff or the the illustration. We're going to (laughs) crawl and then we're going to walk and then we're going to run. We we are following the recommendations of Allegheny County. And as those begin to open, so will we. As we begin to adjust and learn that we can do more, we will. But this is where we're going to start. So again, all of the details, I know you have questions, but here's the hope and goal. All of you aren't going to be able to come every weekend. We know that with a church of multiple thousand and only doing a hundred people for two services a week. But our goal is that at least once you and your family are going to be able to pick a weekend and come and worship together in person. We're going small church. (laughs) For some of you, you're going to be like, yes, I've longed for those days. But our hope is that from now to the next, to the end of the year, over the next 11 weeks, at least once you're going to be able to come. And we believe for some of you, you might be able to come more than that once we get things going. And hear my heart, there are those that they're not tech savvy. They've never been to our website. They're elderly. I want you to hear it from me and know one of the most important things to me and to us was that we give them first opportunity. So we're going to be making calls. You'll be able to register online, but you're also going to be able to call the church and we're going to be reaching out. So we are going to cover everybody. But starting Sunday, October 1st, First, fourth, we're going to begin small public worship gatherings. Here's what else we're doing. I mentioned this pre-service fellowship 412. They're meeting right now. Starting that first week in October, we're going to go to two services. They're doing um, minimum capacity as well. I think they have about 40 people that they're able to. But I would say to you, those of you who are ready and you do desire to worship on a weekend basis, you are more than welcome to attend our homestead campus at fellowship 412. We have watch parties that are actually going on now. Shout out to our young adults who are meeting in the chapel. My wife and I got to visit one a couple weeks ago. There was about 25 young adults with live worship and they watched the service together. We're inviting growth groups if you'd like to do that and we can schedule a space on our campus to do that. We're gonna be doing watch parties. Weekday ministries are starting back back up. I announced the support groups, but it goes for women's Bible study. Student Ministries is looking at doing some small gathering events. I mentioned last weekend these middle school hangouts that are happening. We're going to, our weekday ministries is ramping up and has been. Growth groups will continue to be meeting both on Zoom and opening up here on site to make it available for you to come on site and to have your growth group. And this is new. I'm excited about this. We really felt that while we understand and we value and we're not changing the diversity of our growth groups, that there are some that aren't able to leave yet. So we're going to create neighborhood networks where we lean into our church and go, hey, would you be willing to be a net a neighborhood network leader where we can give you names of people who live near you and you help us follow up with them with that makes sure that everybody's needs are being met. This is all a part of the plan to meet that connection and to help break the loneliness that I know is there. 
So let us love one another well. And here's the last one. Let us worship well. I'm going to give you one more history lesson (laughs) to explain this. It's a little closer to home, though it was 100 years ago. Throughout this pandemic, you may have seen and read of another pandemic that was from 1918. It was the H1N1 virus. It was incorrectly called the Spanish flu at that time, but it killed 50 million people worldwide. 675,000 in the United States alone. Here in Allegheny County, 4,500 people died and 60,000 people were affected. Now, this pandemic 100 years ago, in a lot of ways, it's very similar to how it is today. Schools closed, businesses closed, restaurants were closed. There was social distancing and isolation. And yes, churches closed and there was still some debate among Christians on how to respond to that. There was a great article written by a local writer for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Peter Smith, who actually has written articles about ACAC and we've connected with him. He wrote a fantastic article and I'm going to give a shout out to another local church here in the Pittsburgh area. In this article in 1918, Calvary Episcopal Church in Shadyside, which is still there today, listen to what they did. When the pandemic hit, their pastor told their congregation, and I quote, a very unusual opportunity has come to Calvary Church. They cleared the sanctuary of pews. And they made a makeshift hospital in their sanctuary. And they had 60 beds and they met the needs of the community in a pandemic. Now, while there was a lot the same, much was different. This was in an era without technology. The Model T Ford was the big car of the day. If you were advanced at home, it meant you had zippers and a toaster. There was no internet. There was no live streaming. And here's what happened. Pastors all over the country, they mailed sermons. They mailed prayers. And they mailed Bible readings. And they asked families to join together at 11 a.m. every Sunday to read the sermon, to read the prayers, and to read the Bible readings. And all across the country, there was one phrase, two words that were commonly used regardless of denomination or church or city. And they encouraged people to build home altars. And you go, Alan, what does this have to do with us worshiping well? Well, let me tell you, while our worship has been different, And it will be a little different for the time being. We can still worship well. And we can worship well because worship doesn't begin here in this building. Worship doesn't start here with the choir and on this platform and in the north side. Worship begins at the altars we construct at home. An all familiar verse, David writes in Psalm 100, he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. David doesn't say enter his gates and get thanksgiving. He doesn't say enter his courts and get praise. No, you get the thanksgiving and you get the praise at home and you enter this place with it. Worship begins at the home altar. And so while our worship may be a little different, may, while, it may ha- while it has been a little different, we can still worship well. 
I'm excited about this new season of ministry here at ACAC. I know it's been different and I know it's been difficult and we're not out of the woods quite yet. But remember this test will reveal who we are. And my prayer is that it would reveal that we serve well, we love well, and we worship well. Before we close today, I know there are lots of questions. I've spent a lot of time praying and thinking on how to answer these questions. And I want to tackle them straight on. It's the elephant in the room, if you will. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to answer, I believe, three questions that are out there today from those that are watching. And here's the first. Why is ACAC not resuming large public services when other churches are? I'm going to respond to this question in a couple ways. One, I am only responsible and we are only responsible to do what we feel the Holy Spirit would have us do here at ACAC. I would assume and I would pray for other pastors and other churches that they would follow the leading of the Spirit that God has called them and their congregation to. So I don't spend a lot of time and energy focusing on what others are doing. I spend more time and energy focusing, God, what would you have us do first and foremost? But with that said, I know that many of you live in counties. You drive into the north side and you drive by churches that are open. And you have asked and you have wondered, well, why is my church not open? Well, I would like to say that while we are following the lead of, leading of the Holy Spirit, I would remind you that our context, where Allegheny Center Church is located here on the north side, is in a completely different context than some of the surrounding counties. Despite what you may think, this isn't a, I know there are varying opinions on this, but the reality is we are in the heart of Allegheny County in a community that does take this virus extremely seriously. I want to give you an example. There's a farmer's market in our backyard, Allegheny Commons Park right behind us. Well, there's also a farmer's market in Butler County. And I should note that we have sister churches. We're part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination. And just a few weeks ago, I was with some of those pastors in Butler County, in Grove City, those churches that are open. And we're dear friends and we discuss this. And they affirm that our communities are different. We live in different areas. But getting back to the farmer's market. So on Friday afternoon, this farmer's market that's open here, let me paint a picture of how it is in Allegheny County. At this farmer's market, only one person from your family can enter. It's a gated entrance. There's hand sanitizers when you walk in. Masks are required. There are no pets. And you can only use credit card. It's cashless. But a farmer's market in Butler County, and looking at their website and knowing the requirements, masks are optional, and there is hand sanitizer. Now, my point is not to say one is right and one is wrong. It is simply to paint a picture of the difference. We have different codes and requirements here in Allegheny County that are different than Westmoreland County, different than Beaver County, different than Butler County. So just understand that we are following the leading of the Holy Spirit but also our context is extremely unique and different. And again, it goes back to putting the needs of others over the needs of ourselves. Here's the next question. So by not resuming large public services, 
Are we not caving in to fear? I'm going to be really honest with you. This one gets me a little fired up and I'll get a little more passionate about this one because I would say absolutely not because we haven't opened to large public services. We are not leading by fear. I would challenge you and say we are leading by love. As Paul writes, I'll become all things to all men that I might win some. My heart is not concerned of optics. It's to protect our witness and for our community to know that I am more concerned about their needs and humbling ourselves to serve them than I am our own rights and our own privileges. Let me tell you, as a new pastor, eight months into the job, with a senior pastor who's retiring after 36 years, the easier thing to do would be to open. The easier thing to do would be to say, come on back. I would challenge you and say, it takes far more faith and strength and courage to say, this is the course God has called us to, to lay down our rights, to lay down our privileges for the sake of others. Here's the last question. You may be wondering, well, Shouldn't this be a time when the church needs to take a stand? I would say yes, but what are we standing for? If you're talking about answering this and say, well, we need to stand for our rights. We need to stand for religious freedom. We need to stand for the privilege that we have to come and gather. I would say that's not what we need to stand on. And that's not what we need to stand for. But if you're talking about taking a stand for the cross of Jesus Christ, I'll get in line with you. This is a time where we don't need to stand for what our rights and our privileges are. Many of you may not even be aware that while Allegheny County does have tighter constrictions, as a church, we are free to operate as we so choose. We choose, though, to operate from a position of humility and service to those around us. We're not operating out of fear I understand the differences, but this needs to be a time when we stand for the cross. It's been said that we need to shine. It's a time of darkness. And while I understand and I agree with that, it's also been said this is our Super Bowl moment. This is our big moment. I challenged our elders and our board and I said, no, this is our cross moment. And now I want to ask you a question. I Hopefully I've answered yours and I get it. You may not agree with all of that, but I wanted you to hear my heart. But this is a question I have for you. And this is the question of 2020 for me. What will be the story told of ACAC during this pandemic season? What will be said of us 100 years from now? Will it be the commitment we made, we made to our neighbors in need? Will it be the lengths to which we went to care for the disconnected among us? Will it be that we considered the interests of others as more important than our own by laying down our right to gather publicly in ways in which our neighbors may consider dangerous? I trust and pray that all of the above would be ACAC's story and that people were drawn to the Savior who made that story possible 
when the danger of this current health crisis has passed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, today we choose to lay down our rights and follow in the footsteps of Jesus by dying to ourselves and our personal preferences. In humility, we will count others as more significant than ourselves in obeying the greatest commandment to love God, to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is what I feel the Holy Spirit would have us to do as a church. And while that is the case, we, I pray we would not criticize, nor would we stand in judgment of any other Christian or person who may feel differently. We recognize this as our cross moment. And I pray that we would serve well, we would love well, and we would worship well. Amen.